Hello and welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show. My name is Dan and with me as always is my dear friend Catherine Bertine. This week to join us to talk about all things Half the Road, the wonderful, wonderful forthcoming women's cycling documentary is Sarah. Hello Sarah, hello Catherine. You got that the wrong way round, Dan. <laughs> oh, did I, Sarah? Maybe it's just what I'm wishing for. <gasps> no. Does that mean that Catherine gets stuck talking to you on podcasts once a week and I get to interview pro cyclists and make an international film? Shit, when you put it like Wait that. Wait a minute. Yeah. But then again, you know, I did say it was my dream, not Catherine's, so. Yeah. Fair call. Well, welcome, Catherine. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's so fun to be here, virtually here. This is great. Thanks for having me on the show. Our pleasure. <laughs> uh, now, look, for all three of our new listeners, because we, we picked up three new listeners during the week who don't know who Catherine is. Catherine is uh, the world-famous Olympic bid hopeful for the island nation of St. Kitts and Nevis, uh, which is in the Caribbean, or Caribbean, if you prefer. Um, that's my first question, actually, Catherine. What is the correct pronunciation of the region? I love it. It's Nevis. Nevis. And St. Um, Kitts and Nevis. St. Kitts okay. and Nevis. Yep, you got it. And they like to be very rightfully so they it, they like to be St. Kitts and Nevis as opposed to just saying St. Kitts because then Nevis feels left out and we can't have that. That's a so. fair point. That's a fair point. My second question is sort of a related follow-up uh, because the the as I understand the way your story evolved, you um, sought dual citizenship with St. Kitts and Nevis to to um, open up a better opportunity to uh, represent this, this nation as um, an athlete, a cyclist at the Olympics. Uh, and so my question is, leaving the Olympics aside, why didn't you decide to go with cricket? <laughs> That's a new question. I've not been asked that. I was kind of bracing myself because I've been asked a lot of questions off of the St. Kitts and Nevis citizenship. But cricket, man, I tell you, I don't think I would stand a chance in cricket. That looks like a tough sport. And I don't even know if they have cricket for women at the uh, professional and Olympic level. So that was out. And... uh, yeah, I decided that maybe road cycling had a small chance for me because I actually know how to pedal a bicycle <laughs> and I wouldn't know what to do with any cricket equipment. <laughs> well, pedaling... Hit, hit people over the head with the bats, I think, is the preferred plan. I think it's like dueling. Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that would have gotten me into the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, you've been, you started this journey and it's kind of gone beautifully mad and crazy <laughs> and it's kind of turned, I and mean, I loved watching you watching you kind of the journalism that came about it and the way you've been telling the story about about cycling and, and women's cycling has mm. been really fascinating to me so how 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 did you get where you are basically <laughs> well thank you I've never been called you know uh beautifully mad before so <laughs> that's too fast yes uh, I'm so excited. That's very poetic. Um, it, it has been a really wonderful adventure um, all around. And by that, I mean, there, there have been some times that have been, you know, extremely challenging. And uh, the only way to get through them has been through kind of that adventure standpoint. But the quick background, you know, as you, you both know that this started 
really as a journalism assignment back in 2006 mm -hmm. when ESPN said, hey, look, we, we want to see what it really truly takes to get to the Olympics in this day and age. And, you know, you're going to be our, our guinea pig for that. And at the time, I was a professional triathlete, but I wasn't a champion triathlete. You know, I was more of a middle of the pack person. And, okay, three quarters of the pack in. And, you know, at that point, um, I, I knew that cycling was my strongest leg of triathlon. I said, I'd really like to try road cycling. So I got into it and I tried to progress as quickly as possible because the Beijing Olympics were only two years away. And, you know, ESPN really offered this as kind of a tongue-in-cheek assignment, thinking like, oh, she'll never get very far, but let's let's watch her mess up along the way. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, it'll make for good you know, TV. It kind of, Right, exactly. It was supposed to be kind of a back of the page uh, or back of the magazine type of assignment, mm. so to speak. It was on the web, so there is no back page. But um, <laughs> as it started to go, you know, and I did start to progress through the sport, that's when ESPN started, you know, throwing in some new challenges. And of course, you know, being a, a U.S. citizen, I tried um, to get as far as I could in the U.S. ranks. And, um, you know, within six or seven months of, of picking up road cycling, I was able to get to the national champions and move up to the championships and move up to the category one level and race. But I came in in the middle of the pack. And, uh, you know, I was on one hand, I was very proud of that. I said, OK, I did all right for my first few months of racing. And then on the other side of that coin was the fact that, well, I certainly didn't qualify for the Olympic uh, long team selection process of USA Cycling. So I went back kind of devastated to ESPN and said, well, I guess that's it. I guess I'm done. You know, I tried. And, you know, at this time also, I was really bummed out because I'd fallen so in love with cycling. So it became much more than a, a journalism assignment for me. Um, I was totally enthralled with the sport. So uh, when I was really bummed out that, OK, I guess that's it. I have to give up. And ESPN, they had conferred amongst themselves and they decided to throw out a uh, I don't know if you call it a challenge or a hurdle or what. But they said, well, we never said you had to represent the USA. Why don't you see if you can find some other country to race for? And they said it kind of jokingly, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And of course, at the time, I'm thinking, well, that's ridiculous. You know, I don't have any sort of ties or connections with any dual citizenship prospects. And now you're just kind of making fun of me. And I don't like that. <laughs> and, you know, and so I kind of put on my pouty poo poo face and <laughs> said, well, no, forget it. It's, it's all done. It's forget this. But then, and this is what kind of ties into the larger journey, you know, at that point, I'd started noticing that there were some discrepancies between men's and women's cycling. And, you know, most often that the women are really treated as second class citizens at the professional level. And, you know, I'd, I'd noticed that. So I, I thought to myself, OK, let me take a look at how many countries there are in the world that belong to the UCI and how many of these countries have a men's team but no women's team whatsoever, no women's cycling affiliation? And they're an astounding amount, go figure, um, of these countries that didn't have a women's team or women's affiliation. And I thought to myself, okay, what if I could gain dual citizenship with one of these countries that doesn't have a women's UCI program and I could help that country develop one for women? Um, so that kind of became a new goal for me because I always thought like, look, this is great. If I can get to the Olympics, super, but I would really like to have, to be able to give back and have something in place that lasts much longer than when I'm out of the sport. 
So that was kind of my, you know, impetus to start looking for for some countries to see if at this point, if I could give anything back. And of course, the big caveat there is the fact that and this is where I get misunderstood all the time is a lot of people assume if you race for a different country or a small country or an unknown country, um, they assume that you automatically get to go to the Olympics. And the reality is, in this day and age, is that that's not true. You have to qualify for the Olympics. Um, If you're a country that's never been to the Games in cycling, then you have to earn a spot by cracking the top 100 in the world. And you Mm -hmm. do that by gaining UCI points. So I knew from the get-go, even if I had... Um, the good fortune to qualify or to, to gain dual citizenship that this didn't mean an open door to the Olympics. But man, I sure encountered a lot of uh, alternate opinions <laughs> <laughs> because during it, that time. Yeah, you know, be, because it wasn't challenging enough. It wasn't hard enough to, to just qualify right. for the Olympics. You had to have everyone telling you that you were, you know, being a really bad person for trying. Right. That I'm, I'm a bad person, that I suck, you know. And, of course, this is a, like, you know, now in this day and age, when, when I was writing for ESPN, um, you know, you get the people on any website that want to leave any comment, you know, that they care to make at the bottom of, a, of an article. So, uh, sure enough, you know, everyone's getting all huffy and puffy and saying, well, you know, you should only race for America and da, 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 you know. And not seeing what I hoped was the bigger picture. But then again, that's not true. We had a lot of people that also said, hey, that's a great idea. Maybe something bigger can come of all this. So, you know, I, I had there was an interesting debate about it for sure. But even to this day, you know, people still are under the misconception that I just get to go to the Olympics. And I'm, you know, as far as as far as I remember, I haven't been yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've tried twice. Um and, uh, you know, so so long story short, yes, I was, and, and this is a quick version, but I was very, very fortunate to be granted dual citizenship by St. Kitts and Nevis. I still race for them. People often ask, you know, okay, if you're done with your Olympic bid, are you going to go back and race for the U.S.? But I believe that you should finish what you start. And so for as long as I'm a, a competitive and professional cyclist, I will race for St. Kitts and Nevis very proudly. Awesome. And you've been doing a lot of work with them. Um developing cycling there yes yes we i've done um i've done as much as i can possibly do from not living on the island specifically um so luckily uh winston and greg and reggie and the guys that are down there working hands-on with the cyclists are doing a terrific job you know in terms of getting youth out onto the bikes and what i've been able to help with is organizing bike donations last Mm -hmm. year we had about 50 bikes shipped down to st kitts and nevis in order to start a scholastic program. So, you know, cycling within the schools. And um, that, so that's something we've been able to do. And then by clothing and, uh, you know, um, just gear donations, we've been able to get enough down to the island where we've been able to have national championships every year since 2009. And that's where you can gain some UCI points. All right. So, so Catherine, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I have to, I have to ask a very, very important question now. Okay. So what you're saying is that you have practical experience in helping to develop and grow a grassroots level up program that increases the profile and performance of individuals and national entities in cycling, uh, helping to globalize the sport, sustainably build programs and, uh, and uh, hopefully lead into a gateway for the expansion of the sport in a part of the world that hasn't traditionally participated there. 
Are yes, you by so. any chance available <laughs> for an election later in the year for the UCI presidency? <laughs> oh my gosh, Dan. You know, that first of all, thank you that you would even, uh, you know, liken me to somebody <laughs> that could hold that position. I have to tell you that um, I would accept such a nomination. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it doesn't, I mean, it sounds amazing as well. It's, and, and the fact that you're linking it to education and stuff, it's just, it's just brilliant. And I think I've really enjoyed that about your story is that it, it mm. you know, when I started off reading your, reading the things that you wrote, seeing that all the way through you were making this really conscious effort to tell other people's stories as well and you know both about the people you know both about people in St Kitts and Nevis but also about other Americans races and riders and I loved that mm, <laughs> oh mm. thank you oh, the other well, thing I've that learned, I've... no sorry go ahead <laughs> oh, I, I was going to chime in the other thing that I really loved um is that consistently through because um as you hinted at um unfortunately your Olympic bids uh, have not yet gone your way, uh, 2016 okay. in Rio, Knockwood. Um, but the the thing is that you are still able consistently to find great positivity, not just in your own story, but in the stories of others. And I think particularly in the world of women's cycling, you know, this is something Sarah and I sort of bang our heads against almost every week. Is you know, there's there's perpetually things to be outraged about and you know i think a certain level yes. of outrage is appropriate because you've got to drive change somehow and and you know a, a certain amount of outrage is is requisite for that sort of thing but at the same time it's really important not to lose sight of those those positive things and um and that was probably one of my my big questions about the film project that you're working on now half the road because uh when i saw the the trailer for it i was just blown away at um, how inspiring even those four and a half minutes are of of all these different writers and stories, you know, I've I've literally watched it over and over and over again. I've I had a day at work uh, the week before last where I was just feeling a bit shit, and so I fired it up and felt better in four minutes. It's, yeah. Well, thank you. That's I mean that is huge. Thank you so much. And you know, on behalf of our Peloton, that means a lot. Um, we definitely will touch on some of the, you know, the negative issues in the film as well. You have to, it's, it's going to have a pretty fair balance there. But, um, it, you know, we also knew in making this film, we said, look, if we just had an inter, if we interviewed 30 people and all of them were bitching about the problems of the UCI, that would be the worst movie ever. <laughs> so, well, you know, you know, people would turn it off and, you know, we're women, we know how to complain. So, you know, <laughs> The, the real challenge was, okay, how do we take the, these hurdles that we're up against, but also have it so that there is, you know, true positivity um, and something that we can learn from all of the hurdles and how we get over them. And so that's, that's why, I mean, for me personally, the, the, the coolest thing was to, you know, to ask these individual riders, say, hey, look, I'm making a documentary and tell them a little about it. Will you be part of it? And when, you, when you're starting to get yeses back from Vos and Stevens and Connie Carpenter and the, you know, freaking Surgeon General of the U.S., <laughs> you know, then you know you've got something that's so much bigger, you know, than anything that you, could, you ever could have hoped for. So I am really blown away by the fact that these women, um, and I shouldn't say women, I should say these people, because we interview a lot of men, too. So these people that have trusted me with the voice of, uh, you know, presenting the U.S. or the International Pro Peloton 
in a positive way, that that continues to to um, baffle me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you've had you had a lot of you know you had a lot of track record of it. You know, I, I, I remember those those blogs, the, the the ones to London with a kind of, you know, the very deliberate sidebars about here's another writer you might not know about. And she's fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I learned early on, you know, if you're going to do something for this sport, you have to include everybody that you can. You know, yeah. it can't it can't just be you. I was very fortunate enough, you know, as a journalist to to have that opportunity to to write for ESPN. And of course, you know, the first few years that I did it for ESPN from 06 to to 08 and then the book, that predominantly was my story because I had to figure out what I was doing in pro cycling. So I think maybe in the beginning, some of the women might have looked at me and thought, okay, there's that girl in that weird kit who writes all about herself. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we had to change, but I had to do that at that time because I had to understand what it was I was in and was writing about. But as soon as I got that opportunity to say, wait a minute, now we're at a place where I can take others' stories and put it out into the world, you know, much more ahead of my own. Then I think that's when the attitude started to shift toward me toward, you know, oh, hey, you know, there's that weird weird girl who races for St. Kitts and Nevis. And now it's, hey, there's that weird girl who's trying to help our sport. So (laughs) maybe one day they'll finally learn your name. But (laughs) (laughs) a few of them know it. but It's been good to see that there's been that progress. And and, you know, it's uh it's amazing to me. So I'm, I feel very fortunate. Maybe I'm the person that can tell this story also if we want to talk about the political side. Because at the moment, while there are up-and-coming youngsters in St. Kitts and Nevis that are getting on bikes, at the moment I'm still the only one who's at the, you know, the UCI level of racing. So what that means is I'm less a part of a political entity. You know, I go to the races. I represent St. Kitts and Nevis. I don't have to clamor for the attention of the St. Kitts and Nevis Cycling Federation. I have it. So, you know, when you look at all the other cycling federations around the world, a lot of women aren't in a position where they want to ruffle the feathers yeah. because they could lose standing, yeah. you know? And that's that's terrible that that's how it is, but that's the honest truth right now. So I think, you know, I'm the right person to be able to do this film because I can, you know, step outside that and try to help the, the women that are trapped in there. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for people who don't know about so, the film, you know, that and uh, my upcoming bid for, for UCI presidency, maybe <laughs> maybe that'll help, too. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know about the film, can you describe it for us in like one sentence? One sentence? One okay. sentence, Catherine. You can Please. have you can um, have up to three commas. Oh, so that's mean. Can she have a semicolon in the middle? Three commas, one semicolon. Okay, let's see. Half the road, well, I'll start with the subtitle. Half the road is about the passions, pitfalls, and power of women's professional cycling. Hyphen. (laughs) Hyphen. um, We, as filmmakers felt this is a story that needs to be told now in the current society period <laughs> something like that yeah no that's actually and that's a really interesting off, but that's 
<laughs> Sorry. It's a, it's an interesting point, though, and it is something that I was going to ask about because I think, you know, I mean, obviously as, as cycling fans and, and women's cycling fans, we're very interested in the the uh, primary subject matter of the film. But again, in watching the, the trailer for it, one of the things that sort of resonated with me is this idea that, um, you know, like you use a really beautiful and powerful visual metaphor of, um, you know, the, the saying that women hold up half the sky or half the earth, depending on how you want to say it. And so where's our half of the road? And to me, I, it maybe I'm overreaching, but it felt to me like it's also touching on a, a broader sentiment in society at the moment where, um, you, you know, that, that kind of voice that you're talking about and the, the, um, the lack of representation in all sorts of facets of society for women is, is something that we're increasingly becoming aware of and beginning to address, you know, that... Uh, I could, you yeah. know, I'm the guy in the room. I could be completely wrong about this. <laughs> yeah, Dan, I've <laughs> nope, noticed you're... it for quite a long time. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so, you're so right on that, Dan, because I think, you know, one of the things that we are trying to do with this film is really, like we've said, you know, time and again, it's, it's really not about women's cycling. It's about equality, and we want to reach an audience far beyond those on two wheels. You know, we, we want it to resonate and you're absolutely right. I, one of the problems, and you guys have to tell me if this is worldwide or if this is an American culture, you know, sidebar, but I feel like so often uh, we we keep celebrating small or, you know, even past landmarks and we congratulate ourselves on how far we've come rather than where we should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for example, I can give you the perfect thing for, for us. We have title nine, which granted equality for, you know, women in collegiate sports back in the seventies. And we just celebrated that, uh, that landmark legal action, you know, 40 years, uh, last year, everybody was like, Oh, the 40th anniversary of title nine. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, it, it was great, but what about our title now? Because we are certainly not equal, and it's not just cycling, but it's plenty of sports. We, are talking, we can talk about the job force. We can talk about you know everything across the bar. And yes, we've made enormous strides, but by no means are we equal. Mm-hmm. And... You know, a lot of and a lot of people would rather say, oh, look how far we've come rather than the reality of, yeah, that's great, but we're not far enough. And, I, you know, the other night, my husband and I were watching um, a uh, DVD. We DVR'd one of the cycling races, U.S. national champs, and the the TV time, runtime was an hour and a half. You know, I'm including commercials, but runtime was an hour and a half and the women got eight minutes of coverage. And my husband, I love him dearly, he said, well, isn't that great, though? They've gotten eight minutes, you know, as opposed to like last year when we had no minutes whatsoever. Mm. And then I'm sitting there, you know, kind of like stewing. I'm like, eight minutes, that's not enough, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, that's, uh, this is my, my, pretty much every week at some point, Dan is obliged to mention that uh, picture-in-picture technology has existed for literally decades. And that it's really not yeah. that fucking hard to show me the end of Flesh Valone, you know, for the women while the men are just riding tempo a um, hundred kilometers exactly. away, not giving a shit about what they're doing. Like, I just want to yep. see things. I don't care if it's the small part of the screen. Just show me. 
I know, I know. It would be very easy to do some sort of a split screen, you know, and show show both races or flip back and forth to when, mm. when things are happening in each race. I mean, I think everybody has talked about that. We just need to get to the point where the network is realizing that. Mm. And, uh, mm. you know, there's that whole chicken and egg cycle everybody always talks about with how do you break that change and you know, everybody's blaming everybody from race directors to media to sponsorship to dollars, you know, and mm. who steps in and says, OK, I'm going to put a stick in the spokes, so to speak, and we're, we're going to start it here. Um, I had an I wrote an article recently for Velo News. It hasn't been published yet, but it'll it'll be coming up soon. And, you know, we talked to the tour of Utah race sponsors saying, you know, are you are you guys even aware that the women's pro field would like to have a field here at the Tour of Utah? Do you guys even know that? And the sponsor there, you know, her tone of voice and on the other end, she was like, wow, well, that's interesting. You know, yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about that. You know, that kind of like, well, we, we recognize there's a women's Peloton and we should we should talk about that. So mm. the fact that some of these sponsors aren't even aware that you know, the women's Peloton wants to do these same races as the men is, uh, you know, where is that failure of communication? <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's that's another one of my big pet peeves because from a, a market point of view, I maintain that sponsors, you know, women buy stuff. It's no mystery. Women buy things. And I, if I'm a marketer, want to sell things to them. Uh, so yep. it really isn't that complex an equation. Someone out there no. must be wanting to get the attention of people who will watch this sport and sell them stuff, you know. But, the yep. people, but people also really want to watch this. I mean, my, my stat is the Olympics on the BBC, um, and yep. they said something like, at, it, at the biggest audience, the biggest audience segment of the men's Olympic road race on the BBC was something like, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was, it was like, you know, I don't know, 1.3 million or something like that. And the women's was like over three times that much. <laughs> Yep. And the same, and the same share was on Eurosport, and it's the same thing. It's like this idea that oh well, we can't show it because no one wants to watch it. I'm always like, well, demonstrate it, man. Show me, show me right. it, show me it's on TV, and then we'll look at the figures afterwards. You know what I mean? And tell us in advance oh, that it's happening, and you know, let's. I can, I'll demonstrate. <laughs> I agree. Well, that's that's where the media has a huge has a huge role to play. If they're just clamoring on that, oh, nobody wants to watch or read about it, then you know our answer is, well, how how would you know that if you don't put it out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and it the, has to, yeah, it has to be seen. And the race. <laughs> I mean, this my issue. My issue with the Flesh Vallon and the Ronde van Vlaanderen is that oh, it yeah. would be so or Omni Pet Noiseblatt. Is it so? Is is all you have to do as the race organizer is insert a clause and say, all oh, right. So when sports is bidding to become the TV provider for it, okay, sports are, you're you know you want to be the host broadcaster. If you want to have this race this year, you have to show X many minutes of the women's race, and you have to show, you know, the final from the bottom of the murder hui live. Yeah. And and you just put that in a contract. You don't want to do that because it's not hard. I mean, especially when you're talking about races like, you know, races where you've got fixed cameras at the finish line and stuff like that. It's not difficult. Right. It's it's, it's like it's, a, it's really simple. Anyway. Anyway, this is our <laughs> Yes. So th I know. thank you for our so... weekly rant. Yeah. It's um it's <laughs> Well we do we we bring that up in the film too. You mm. know, we talk about that cycle and we talk about ways to, to get past it and Honestly, so much good. I don't want to keep harping on on Pat McCoy and the UCI, 
But we do need the change to come from the top because I think our biggest hurdle is apathy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, McQuaid isn't so bothered with us. Um, and if he were and if he really, truly believed in not just the social, but the financial, you know, uh, change that could come for the mm-hmm. better mm-hmm. if, uh, you know, women's pro cycling were broadcast and, yep. you know, supported, then I mean, it would it's just such a no brainer. But he's just not there in a place where he can mm-hmm. he can see that. And hopefully, you know, the next person down the line will see that because I just don't think it's that hard to be fair <laughs> to <laughs> it. It, it You know, we joke earlier, you know, would I would I run for UCI president? Of course, any job at that level comes with challenges. But tell me, how hard is it to be fair and equal mm-hmm. to both genders? I I do not see that as a difficult challenge. And we, and we manage it. We manage it on track. I mean, apart from the fact the track distances are different, and I've been to track meets in Manchester, you know, one of the biggest sold out big events. And I can tell you the crowd do not give a damn whether it's a man or a woman on the track. And actually, if you have Victoria Pendleton going up against Anamir's, that's the one race people want to watch because, you know, it's an amazing race. And and you don't have this thing, you know, that people go off and get their beers and get their hot dogs in, in the middle of the long races. They don't go, you know, it's not about, they don't do it in the women's races. They love it. And they'll just go completely bonkers for it. Same with mountain bike. You know, mountain bike is is streamed. You know, all the World Cups are streamed, the men's and the women's. Red Bull, which sponsors the mountain, you know, sponsors a lot of the mountain bike stuff, sponsors the women too. It's it's not even like, you know, or or in BMX. Um, Right. And we know a lot about BMX here because Sinead Reed is like a huge superstar in Australia. They have Caroline Buchanan. So Mm. maybe we're more BMX aware nations. But, you know, Sinead Reed is is the top. If you had to if anyone had to name a BMXer for Mm -hmm. the public, they pick her. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) It's Mm. so true. It's crazy. And you look at it, you look at the sports that do it right, you know, like triathlon, and that's just equal down the line. Yeah. The men, the women, the the prize money, the distance. It's just not hard to do it. Yeah. No, I I think you, absolutely. I think you highlighted a great point, Catherine, where you were saying earlier, like, ultimately, there are, you know, a whole bunch of points in the the process where someone could, you know, put that line in the sand or whatever and, and say, this is where we're making the change. And all it really takes yeah. is for one of those to do that. And, it, it you know, it's dominoes. It, it all starts to fall into place. Someone's just got to have the will to make it happen. Um, right. But, but related to all of that, uh, I mean, I guess my follow-up question, particularly in relation to Half the Road, is, like, what's the contribution that you're hoping Half the Road makes overall in relation to all of this? What What's the, the big thing that you want to achieve with the film? Yeah, I mean, awareness and change are really the two biggest things that we're going for. I think, you know, as we see in any sport, once somebody is a little bit more invested in the personality of a character, Mm -hmm. then that sport becomes so much more passionate and real to them, you know, and that's what we're hoping for. We want to give these snippets of amazing personalities of these real athletes and then have it stick in someone's mind and say, hey, that person was really cool. I'd like to tune in and see what they can do on a bike. So, you know, once you're invested in, in that, it furthers the whole sport, in, in my opinion. But I also really wanted to show uh, the one thing that I was hoping for in all these interviews and that we got was that these women are vocal and active about wanting this change. So, 
you know, that's really important. If we were just making a film and all the women were like, oh, I like to ride my bike, I give it 100%, <laughs> you know, that's that's one story. But what we're getting are the stories of these women saying, hey, this is our time. We deserve the same coverage, the same everything. And they're speaking up about it. You know, and Emma mm. Pooley is fantastic, as you saw in that clip. Um, <laughs> hats off to her for, you know, being extremely vocal in a situation like like I described earlier, where she she does potentially potentially have something to lose if she finds herself out of favor with yeah. an organization. But this so is why, she's, yeah, I, she, this is why you love her. I mean, she last year she had after the Olympics she had she 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 had a couple of interviews, and one of the big guys in um, British cycling actually came and gave some interviews against her. Like, oh, no. uh, you know, kind of like, oh, Emma, yeah, well, she wasn't really very good and stuff. And she was like, and her whole point, had, and, and it was like, it's just like, holy shit, I can't believe you're, I can't believe you're, do I can't believe the Federation is kind of putting out these negative comments about, like, a woman who's a former Olympic, who's an Olympic medalist, who's yep. a world champion, who is going to be our biggest hope for Rio. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's 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 so true. I would like to say we have, you know, a lot of guys um, in the U.S. and abroad that have seen the trailer for the film. It's really encouraging to see a lot of the men's peloton get behind this as well. Cool. So hopefully Emma's Emma's exam, you know, interaction that she's maybe has had with any male cyclists. Hopefully we can override that by saying we've got some of these guys on board who are tweeting, who are sharing the link who are saying, hey, check this out. Mm. I mean, the majority of the guys at the pro level, I think, um, you know, are very encouraging toward what we're trying to do. So I'm well, how could how that, could they you know, not be? I mean, honestly, uh, it, like you look at the variety of, of personalities and stories, and as you say, everything from from Emma getting her righteous anger on, which is pretty awesome, to yeah. Ina Yoko Teutenberg's. I just love, you know, she almost like she she almost can't speak in a normal voice. She just sort of growls. Um, and there's that quote where she's like, you know, I don't care if there's no prize money. I don't give a shit. I just want to race my bike to win the world championship, you know, and it's just exactly. like, you know, it's so we competitive, a- you know, it's awesome. It is. And what I loved about that clip, you know, Ina and I were talking about that after she saw the trailer and she was kind of laughing. Um, first she liked the, the bike bell that we had to, we made that sound effect for her in our studio, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we, we bleeped it out, and that was fun. Um, but we, uh, you know, she was saying, you know, gosh, I hope it's okay that I said that. I mean, you guys are trying to strive for equal prize money, and then here I am saying I don't care about prize money if I'm a competitor. And I said, no, that's perfect that you said that because we don't want everybody to have the same opinion. And the second thing is she's not talking about the equality of the prize money. She's just saying the mm. heart of an athlete wants the title and you know she doesn't care about the prize money though i'm sure she very much cares whether the prize money is equal or not <laughs> well exactly i mean it's it's the same way last week on the podcast sarah and i were talking about uh training camp in tuscany uh that a bunch of the the ladies were on and um the the blog that um i've forgotten who wrote it sarah Oh, Annemiek van Vleuten. Yeah, and- about about sprinting for town signs on their training rides. <laughs> you know, yep. that's that's <laughs> athletes. That's competition. That's you know, <laughs> you race anything. Yep, exactly. You see it all the time in a race. You know, if you're in some chase group crossing the line, you're still sprinting mm. for fiftieth place. <laughs> you know, that's just what we do. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, what I mean, what can we look for? We've seen the trailer. 
but obviously yes. there's a lot more to it than that. What can we look forward to? What are your um, what are your oh. favorite parts? Dun dun dun! dun I can dun. Tell you the inside scoop is that we actually left out some of the controversial stuff on purpose in the trailer. Um, we have a few really interesting examples of blatant prejudice, prejudice, and that's uh, you know we we left them out of the trailer on purpose to so that it would have a lot more of an impact in the film, and you know um, hopefully we don't have to go through too many hurdles. I mean they're all they're all legally sound to include, but when you're telling a much larger story, you know you can't get everything in the trailer. So mm -hmm. we have some really interesting stuff. Um, we also, you know, the trailer showed a lot of stars, a lot of top of the game athletes, but we have just as many, you know, athletes that are in there that are part of uh, development teams. You know, we focus on a, a couple clips on the Panamanian development team mm -hmm. and some instances they've had to deal with. And honestly, you need to have equal importance given to Kristen Armstrong as you do to a development team if you want, you know, the, the real truth of women's cycling to come forth. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things we have to look forward to is the, the depth of... Uh, of riders and opinions and things that that happen within the peloton you know we're telling a really broad story rather than just focusing on you know the gold medalists cool yeah that's uh that's a fun one for us and um i'm actually tomorrow i'm heading up to hood river oregon where my cameraman lives with all of his fancy equipment and we're going to spend about two and a half weeks just you know, working on the uh, on the documentary there, so we're getting fired up for that. <laughs> awesome! So, so you're about to go live everyone's dream and and you know camp in the woods and, and edit a film for a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, we've we've already mentioned a couple of times uh, on on the podcast that you've currently got your Indiegogo fundraising campaign going. Um, obviously, that's yeah. to help finish the film. But can you just talk us through a little more of what the money's actually going to be used for and um, and you know, what the goals Absolutely. and aspirations. Absolutely. That's, that's really fun. And thank you for, for plugging the old fundraiser. Um, so we're, you know, being a first time documentary filmmaker, I'm really learning this process myself. And when we drew up the budget, we realized that where the funds are going are primarily to these, uh, five areas. One of them is the actual, um, making of, you know, DVDs or streaming and posters and mailings and ads, right? So that's the hard copy stuff. Uh, the other the other funds we need are for setting up screenings and premieres in the U.S. and abroad. Um, then there's a round of funds that goes into entering film festivals. And if we are so lucky to be accepted by film festivals, uh, some that, you know, we need, we need travel funds to be able to get there. Um, and then we have some some of the funds allocated toward Olympic footage because we'd like to be able to show some Olympic footage. And I'm learning firsthand that that's a ridiculously pricey. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what is it? It's like 1500 bucks um, for 30 seconds or something like that. Oh my God. Are you kidding? It's I, that's what I thought. Maybe it would be around, but apparently if you're going to have a film that's distributed worldwide, we're now talking more about the $15,000 mark for two minutes. Holy shit. Well, now we know uh -huh. how the Olympics are funded. <laughs> yes, we do. By by gate by like price gouging documentary filmmakers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and because because for three and a half years, you know, everyone has to pay that price. So it's wow, what a monopolized market. Yes, I know. It's 
It's okay. crazy. It really is. But mm. that's, uh, you know, and we, we really want to have some mm. of those cross the line photos or not photos, but video of, yep. um, you know, the past few Olympics. So we're very hopeful that when, as we raise these funds that uh, that we're going to be able to procure some of that footage. Well, I certainly <laughs> I certainly it? hope so, because I have to say uh, Voss crossing the line in the, the road race last year is like probably the greatest yep. cycling image just seared into my brain. That hopefully will Me just be too. there for the rest of my life. It was, yeah. But you, you know, know you know what it'll show though. It's both Beijing. So, so Nicole Cook had a similar. Had a, there's a similar image I've got in my mind of Cook crossing the line in Beijing. But the thing it'll show is that it always rains on women's cycles, <laughs> <laughs> metaphorically and otherwise. It's so true. Oh well, it's I guess so I guess we could reenact it um, if we had to, couldn't we? we- <laughs> That was a joke. We were talking about, like, oh, we could do claymation and stick figures. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that would be great. Oh, no. But, um, no, I think I think we'll be able to get it. <laughs> so um, if Dan has been talking about how he expects people, you know, people have got two kidneys. They can easily sell a kidney and donate the proceeds well, to no, the Well, no, I was advocating illegal Absolutely. organ harvesting. Just, you know, if you see someone asleep on the train when you're commuting to work, take one of their kidneys. They'll be fine. <laughs> I would, and I would totally issue them a receipt. So <laughs> it would be a tax-free donation, absolutely. So um, I'd love to write a receipt for a kidney. That would be fantastic. Um, but we were wondering. I have to say, we're totally touched by the amount, like the amount that's come in so far. You know, we we are right around the twenty k mark, and. It's amazing. We're talking about people that are donating, you know, 10 bucks, 25 bucks. Every now and then you get a bigger amount. But what it's telling us is that these, you know, the world really, really wants to have this happen and see this film. And that to us is like the greatest thing to to watch with the fundraising. Not to mention we've got something like like 10 or 11 countries now uh, represented in the donations. So, so 160 countries to go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's so cool, you know, to think that this is the the trailer has made its way around the world and hopefully will continue to do so. And something about the film's message really is resonating. So for us, that's like that's the true gift, you know. Well, Sarah and I so have it- um, both donated and uh, and hope to uh, to reap the rewards, uh, i.e. see the film. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, for for thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, for those listening though, who who may not be familiar with how it works, do you want to just quickly talk through um, sure. some or all of the reward tiers and and how that works? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we're set up on a fundraiser which is called Indiegogo, I N D I E Gogo, <laughs> and it's similar to a Kickstarter. Um, and if you click on, there's a bunch of perks that we have on the side. So, uh, you know, anyone can donate any amount that they want. Um, starting at the $50 mark, you can get your name in the film credits if you donate in the next 40 days because we've got about 40 more days on our fundraiser. So 50 bucks gets your name in the credits. Um, 100 and I'm talking U.S. currency, but we'll happily take anything. <laughs> so um, $100, you get your name in the credits and a DVD of the film. Uh, $200, you get the DVD, the credits, and a T-shirt, because we're in the process of making T-shirts. Yay. Um, $500, you get, again, the, the DVD, the T-shirt, film credit. And we've got 
we've got 10 autographed photos by Miss Chrissy Wellington, who's in the film, um, where she has written to, you know, personal inscriptions of thanking people for donating to Half the Road and making it happen. And then we've got a couple more, uh, too. We have, you know, if you come in at 1,000, then you get all of that and a, uh, a copy of my book, which is where all this crazy stuff started. <laughs> and uh, we got a few more. At the 2,000 mark, we will happily donate 10% to any women's cycling team of your choice worldwide. Uh, 5,000 will get you a trip to Tucson to ride along with me. I don't know if that's desirable or not, but it's there. <laughs> well, is it, do you guarantee that that's a no drop ride? Because <laughs> otherwise, no drop, absolutely. otherwise, you know, like, I mean, to be fair, maybe you should walk and I'll ride. I mean, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. No, we, we can take a tandem out. We can do that. <laughs> then you're stuck. Uh, our our biggest perk and we're hoping we might get a few corporations to come in we are hoping to find a few that might come in at the ten thousand dollar level to do um the executive producer rights so they would basically be a producer of this film and listed as such and you know they get all the other perks involved as honestly i wish I wish I had 10 grand sitting around. That is the cheapest EP credit you will get in this world. Like, seriously, that is ridiculously cheap. I can't believe it hasn't been snapped up already. Um, Wow, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, we hope, we hope that there are some companies that share the same view as you, Dan, on that. Because, you know, when we look... Nike, Adidas, Reebok, you know, like any of these organizations should just be like throwing tons of money and going, this is cheaper than our last advertising campaign and is going to work better. (laughs) I would hope so, right? Mm. Mm. So Nike and Adidas and all of those companies, if you're out there listening, I am happy to exchange emails. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and when would we, so when it's, so when the film's going to be launched in the autumn, right? Yes, yeah, we, we left it as autumn as rather than a specific month, <laughs> you know, run over or under a little. But we're shooting for that October time frame. Um, and I am actually going through the process now of educating myself in terms of, um, you know, we enter film festivals as they come up once we have a rough cut. But we have to make sure we don't do a weird double jeopardy thing in terms of um, having screenings before some of the festivals. Yeah, yes. So we're we're navigating that path a little bit, um, and then once we've been out on the festival circuit for a little bit, that's when we're able to issue the the home DVDs of that nature. But uh, you know, kind of similar to any movie that comes out, first we'll have a theater run, and then um, and then we'll have the DVDs or the or the downloading. So <laughs> that's the uh, that's the process, and it's fascinating to be part of this weird world of film <laughs> so i guess so i guess if anyone has some connections to cinemas or festivals or bike festivals or, or anything interesting they should get in touch with you at half the road right I half the road half the road.com we will have a chat that would be fantastic we've had a lot of people show interest in in having the film and hosting a screening which we're we're more than happy to work with which is great but it's all the extra awareness if we do have people that are involved with the film festival circuit that say hey yeah i'd like to take a look at that that's you know how it is connections are always helpful there yeah because that was our other question is if you don't have the cash or the spare kidney how can people help <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. That's so important. Honestly, the the biggest help is spreading awareness. 
of the film. And, you know, if if donations aren't possible for someone, but they can spread the word to people who are able to donate, that's that's just as good as a donation, if not better. So, you know, it's uh, it's a big thing. And I do want to mention, give a shout out to the Sufferfest company who had this great plan. They came up with an idea to sell their product, which is, you know, cycling videos. They did a 24 hour sale of their product and they donated 15 percent to to our film in a one day sale and all just out of the kindness of their heart because they believe in in women cycling. So, you know, it was so interesting to see how people had ways of contributing that, you know, didn't come out of their pockets necessarily, but through creative ventures like like that kind of sale. So cool. it's so, really yeah. interesting to see how Helped, yeah. that, that is an excellent point. Um, if you don't have cash on you at the moment, but work in an office with a large number of people, you could do a bake sale, for example. And, yes. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Maybe maybe get some recipes of uh, of great oat cakes and stuff. You know, good healthy. <laughs> you know, carb loading for your next race. And um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Many. So many people um, like food. Mm, mm. <laughs> So that's always a terrific idea. No, thank. I mean, anything, anything is helpful to us, and we just, uh, you know, appreciate this kind of exposure and you know being able to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. How about this for for an ending comment? If I haven't babbled on enough already, <laughs> um, which I'm, yeah, unfortunately, far too talented at doing. So um, back in 2009, we went to the World Championships and. Um, this time we had two of the men from St. Kitts and Nevis um, racing with us, Reggie Douglas and James Weeks, and they were allotted a, a slot to the time trial at World Championships. And um, we we got to see firsthand the effect of uh, having this new country at World Championships, not to mention a whole new ethnicity. It's, you know, the diversity that they brought being two black cyclists in what is usually a very lily white cycling world. And they were so popular with the fans. Everybody wanted to know who they were, what their racing was like, you know, how they had come to be at Worlds. And they were an enormous hit showing and proving that, you know, the world really wants to see the development of cycling across mm -hmm. the board. And one of the greatest quotes from one of the cycling magazines upon that race was uh, a quote about um, Vinokurov that year had had some mechanical in the time trial and he got very angry and he threw his bike and the whole crowd booed about that. You know, that wasn't the classiest move. And yet uh, this magazine wrote, you know, here we are at World Championships and Vinokurov has gotten the most boos, whereas St. Kitts and Nevis has gotten the most cheers. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we love that in, in that sense. We took it to heart that people, fans of cycling aren't always fans of who's winning, but rather who's coming into the game. Well, yeah. I, think, and, I think especially you know, with cycling, because we've we've all suffered on the bike and we all know how how terrible it can be at times. And and so, you know, sports, everyone loves an underdog anyway, but, you know, like a new entrant and, and new performance. I was actually at those world champs. I remember those guys. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh, mm. that's so cool. That, you know, and they're, they're total role models, uh, you know, for for the sport. And so we just hope to be able to do that with so many other countries as well and really say, hey, guess what, UCI, we are here, we are growing, pay attention to all of us equally. <laughs> so my, my, my final question for you, Catherine, yeah. is what's next? 
I'll answer that in two capacities. One is as a cyclist, you know, I, I'd like to have um, another season or so where I'm, I'm competing still at the professional level and, and, you know, racing and continuing to represent St. Kitts and Nevis and be out there, you know, um, just doing my thing. So on the, on the athletic level, that's, that's one goal. And then in the professional area, I really, really want this film to be the first of many, uh, not just for, you know, women's pro cycling, but for hopefully a platform where we can help create change in other areas of, of the world, you know, uh, and bringing some injustices to light and do it in a way that, that is entertaining and interesting for people. So, you know, on that note, I would really like to keep the filmmaking and the writing going to the point where um, maybe ultimately someday instead of all the fundraising, maybe there's a company out there that will just say, Hey, go do your thing. (laughs) We got you. You know, that would be, that would be terrific so that we can all kind of grow. But, um, those are, those are my what's next. They're a little bit, a little bit vague, but you get the idea. (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that's the nature of what, what nexts are like anyway, but, uh, you know, you certainly have a full plate at the moment anyway. So, um, thank you very much, Catherine, for sharing some time with us and, um, and catching us up on all things half the road. Uh, speaking for myself, you are more than welcome to my half of the road anytime you need it. Um, good luck. Good luck with the film and, um, and let us know how you're going. Oh, thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sarah. You guys have been such terrific supports of women's cycling, and we, we can't thank you enough for all that you do. So thank you, thank you, and we'll be in close touch. <laughs> Thanks again to Catherine Bertine for swinging by and joining us. Uh, make sure to check out the site, which is Sarah? Halftheroad.com Well, I actually meant our site, which is... Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant check yeah, out. No, yeah, no, no, I understand because I did, a, I did a shitty introduction because I was going to go, you know, check out the site and then you were going to say prowomenscycling.com in that relishy way that you do, um, which you've now missed the cue twice on. Um, and then I was going to be all, all cool and smooth and like for the link, which we will include at the end of the podcast because we always do that. Um, <laughs> so now that we've made a complete hash of that, maybe we should uh, move right along and talk about some racing. Yes, racing. Well, it was, you know, like last week, there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of races. And oh, my God, it was like just packing them in. Race, 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 race. This week, we only had two races, uh, but they were fantastic. And one of them was the Philly Cycling Classic. Um, Which is like pretty much like it, it, it really is like a classic classic in the in the true sense of the word. Like it's been going for a while. It's got the epic Maniunk wall kind of climb. And, uh, you know, it's got, got real history and stuff to it. People travel, you know, hundreds of miles to get to it and stuff. It's a cool fucking race. My favourite thing about the Philly Classic is that the local neighbourhood get really upset because apparently people party too hard on the Manayunk wall. <laughs> and they actually have photos beforehand of people wearing T-shirts saying things like, they, drive, they ride bikes, I drink beer, Manayunk! <laughs> Yeah, well, from from what little I know of Philly, and to be fair, I spent, you know, like a really good half hour in Philly. Um, <laughs> that's not entirely, you know, confined to one day of the year. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, 
forgive me if I'm maligning your beautiful city, Philadelphians, but you know, uh, my entirety of the knowledge of your your city, city of brotherly love, is uh, the film that was named after your city and uh, the half hour I spent at Pat's eating a cheesesteak, which I, was, I will I was never say, ever you know do about again. Cheese steaks. So cheese steaks. <laughs> cheese steaks. Did Not you say cheese steaks? steaks? Wow. <laughs> anyway. Uh, moving, moving on to the actual racing, there are uh, probably two really cool standout fucking awesome things about this particular edition of the race, uh, which are the prize money and the televisionism or televisionization or the fact that we can fucking see it, however you want yeah, to call it. I mean, it's an interesting race because although it has got a long history, this is pretty much a reboot of it. Generally, the Maniac Wall, which is this, you know, very short, very steep, um, climb is, it has been in the middle of the race and it's, it's always been one by sprinters it had never been won by an american woman before and either yoko teutenberg has like won it five times and petra rosner has won it seven times but no usa woman had ever managed to win it but the race was cancelled in january which was a real blow because this was like the only uci day race and actually with the cancellation of the exergy tour the only uci registered race in the usa but it came back uh reorganized better brighter um 30 grand prize pot in american dollars for both the men's and the women's winner Excellent. And we saw it on TV. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the streaming. What I found really interesting was that the streaming was, well, I mean, uh, it was pretty rubbish, to be fair. Uh, we lost the motor. We lost the um, motorbike. Uh, when the motorbike started, it was like, uh, um, you know, showing the back of the peloton, which is always useful. And then uh, the motorbike was lost for a couple of laps. And yeah, and the commentary wasn't because the, the commentators weren't getting information through they couldn't really give the best commentary on the race but what i've realized is that the amazing amazing depth that twitter adds to races and it was great because you had um Ilya Teutenberg, who's won it a couple of times and who must have been gutted not to be there i mean this is Ida loves the atmosphere and she's she's not racing still because she's still trying to recover from that horrible head injury poor ina but there's ina commenting on it and amber pierce our friend amber pierce uh, mm. of kageas past zara also talking about it and providing this really rich really rich de- commentary and then there's also people like uh, laura wiselow the editor of Cy- cycling news and people like the podium insight lynn and stephanie the podium insight team you know people talking about this race and it, it was like it was brilliant it was so much fun to watch and it was really really funny comparing it to the men's race because they had pretty much the same level of coverage, and everyone was just bitching about the coverage all the way through the race. Oh, fucking hell. Oh, we've got elbow cam again. Oh, it's terrible. And it was just really funny. Really funny compare and contrast. Well, it was, but also, you know, at the same time, uh, you know, and here's the bit in this week's podcast where I'm like, I'm looking at you, flesh full on. Because, you know, <laughs> they still did it better. I mean, yeah, there were there were a couple of issues. Uh, they did have the moto cam in for the first couple of laps. Um, they were doing okay with that. And then there was some kind of technical problem. They had to pull the, the moto out, fix the camera. That happens. They were still giving us um, footage from the fixed cam up the climb. There was a really cool dude who got dubbed Super Volunteer, who was one of the volunteers on the day, who was on the wall. And he had a whistle and was just, like, getting the crowd worked up and just yelling massive encouragement every time the peloton came around. Um, you know, the commentators were working with what they had. Um, you know, it, it, it provided a great sense of, of the environment and the, the place of the race, uh, you know. And, uh, and, and it was an exciting race too. There were, you know, 
unsurprisingly, when it comes to women's racing, a whole bunch of attacks and breaks that were chased back and then got away and then a break from the break and then it all came back together and who knew what was going to happen next because it was pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, I think my favourite was when Ali Powers um, attacked like an absolute lunatic in the last lap. Um, Ali Powers is a former skier. She once beat Lindsay Vaughn in a downhill. So her her speciality, apparently, she has a line going downhill like no one else. Um, so when Powers, who's this like, I think it was Josh, um, just joshing you said, Powers House. <laughs> but when she attacked, and it was so interesting because there was Ina going, yeah, but she's going to be caught. And Anna going, yeah, um, and people going, yeah, she's she's possibly not attacking for herself, but you know, there's no chance of her getting away because she had, you know, she had Lex Albrecht and Joelle Newmanville as her teammates behind her, and and Ina and Amber and Meredith Miller, who's a multidisciplinarian, all agreeing that yeah, it's so much better to go out to to kill yourself trying than it is just to sit on, and that just sums up women's cycling to me. It's like you know, they just there she is. She's just gonna make. She's gonna kill her. There's there's hardly any chance of her making it away. But by God, she's gonna try. <laughs> and she's gonna make whoever chases her down work for it. Oh my so. God, they had to work to catch her. So um, the race was very, very, very nearly not won by an American again because on the final climb, cresting the hill was uh, Joelle Newmanville, who's a Canadian power sprinter, coming up. Like super fast, but then behind her, Evelyn Stevens. <laughs> yeah, holy shit, Evie's back. Evie's back, and Evie took it. Just it was pretty much everyone was saying it was pretty much a replay of um, last year's Flesh Malone, where she picked Mariana Boss on the line. It was just exactly that same kind of move from Evie. Oh my god, it was I thought beautiful I writing. thought you actually meant because we could see it on TV, but okay, yeah. <laughs> And Claudia Hauschler came third, and um, Hauschler, Hauschler's a former Giro Donna winner, and um, she had a bad accident a couple of years ago, and she's also been focusing, I think her degree is mechanical engineering, or, you know, some kind of super science degree that she's been working on at the same time, but it's really nice to see her back, and people were saying, well, you know, she might have done better if she hadn't, like, killed it on each time of the wall to win the Queen of the Mountains jersey, and she said afterwards, yeah... I guess I, you know, I guess I could have preserved my energy, but you know, I just wanted to attack every time. <laughs> there's, there's actually, I, it occurs to me now that there's probably some kind of um, widely symptomatic personality disorder to be found in the women's peloton, isn't there? I just, wanted, I, want, I just I, wanted to I, attack yeah, all the time. I just attacked all the time. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> So the second race of the week was the Durango, Durango, and Macamin Saria, a Basque race. Um, this is the Basque mini season. They used to be, it's funny because there are these like little mini seasons in, in the peloton. So um, Philly Classic is part of this, what used to be a North American season where you'd have the uh, you know Montreal World Cup and the Tour de Montreal and the the GP Jack Gatineau and the Philadelphia Classic and riders would go out for a block of, you know, this block of racing. Um what we had in Spain, it used to be the um, the, the, the the GP Valladolid and then a Macamin Seria and then the Macamin Bira stage race. We're just down to to Durango and the Macamin Bira this week. So Durango's uh, just been? Just been. Won by Mariana Voss with Emma Johansson in second place and Ebby Stevens, who must have, like, I don't know, she must have just basically left Philadelphia and got on a flight and flown over to Spain. As, I, as I understand, she actually just didn't stop pedalling. She got over the top of the wall on that last lap and just kept going. 
um, and then just landed straight on the end of, of Durango Durango and um, and worked her way through the bunch and uh, and wound up there. Exactly. Mm, mm. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly, exactly how it happened. And Elisa Longo-Borghini was up there too, wasn't she? She was indeed. But my favourite things about these races, two favourite things. Firstly, they're the first races back from, from Sharon Laws since she broke her, her vertebrae in a horrible crash in South Africa in March. Um, Sharon is one of my very, very, very favourite, 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 favourite riders. She's just definitely, really... Definitely one of your top 300. Absolutely. <laughs> She's really funny and clever and brilliant and tough and and and, and bounces back from adversity and, and nice. And I've just interviewed her this week, um, so hopefully I'll that'll be up. I'll put it into the post or put another post up for it once I've done it. Um, but it was Sharon's first race back, and I think she may have finished last or she finished three minutes back on the bunch. But I, you know, congratulations, Sharon. It must be really really scary to be racing again after the last time you raced was caught up in a hideous crash. I just have nothing but good thoughts and good vibes and happiness for you to be back. Indeed. Indeed. Um, uh, the other thing I really liked about the race was Ellen Van Dyke tweeted a picture because apparently her t- uh, Rabobank team had bought her time trial bike over for her. I assume that the you know, it's something about it being from the Netherlands and just, you know, putting it in the back of the van with everyone else's. But when they delivered it, she tweeted a picture because they put a little sticker on it. Um, Rabobank 2014, heart. <laughs> <laughs> Next to her name on the Right, so this is how rumours get started. (laughs) Oh, not on the stem, on the top bar, yes. um, Top tube, even. (laughs) Oh, oh, holy shit! Hang on, in addition to Sword Panda actually making a a basic bike diagram for you during the week, did um, did she actually secretly send you a proper picture explaining all the bits? (laughs) She did, didn't she? (laughs) She did! She didn't. I just know the difference between a stem and a top tube. Yeah, sure you do. Sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, Ellen. So Ellen had this cute little sticker that she posted. That she said, and then she put, she posted another picture saying, because when her wheels had got there, they, their wheels were in Rabobank bags. So she gave the bags back to them with a specialised Lululemon big sticker stuck over the front of them. <laughs> and I thought that was lovely. I thought that was just a really sweet. You know, it's like they may be they may be they may be brutal rivals on the road, but they just you know they have a lot of fun off the road, and I like that. Hmm, indeed, of course. So, so tomorrow, how does this set us up for the Immaculate Beera then? Is there, is, you know, does this bit of rivalry have to be sorted out on the road then, or? I think it does. It's a th- it's a four stage race. Um, it doesn't have the uphill time trial. Um, you know, it doesn't have the up to up doesn't have the uphill tri- time trial anymore. It, it's but but you know, it's still mountainy, fun mm. times, and this is really a, a place to see what it'll be like at the Giro Rossa at the end of the month. Well, and apparently uh, the latest weather report, it's actually finally stopped raining in the Basque country, so... You know what? It's not been raining at all. It's all sunny. I mean, mm. all the riders... You know, like, how the Basque country is very beautiful, but one of the reasons it's very beautiful and lush and green is because of the immense amount of rain. Well, apparently all the photos are of riders in the sunshine. Ridiculous. So the rain's due to start when they roll out to, tomorrow. Dan, you're always jinxing them. God. <laughs> it's why I'm beloved. <laughs> so, yeah, well, the other thing... You laugh like you don't believe I'm beloved. I... 
<laughs> I don't know why you would say that. Quick, which bit connects to the handlebars again? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, last week we mentioned that um, Argos Shimano had let two of their riders go, Charlotte Becker and Marlene Yeomond, mm. and we were a little bit concerned about this. But almost immediately, what we found out is that Charlotte Becker has already got another team and she's going to be riding for Wiggle Honda for the rest of the season um, she's already been on a training camp with them and apparently they very definitely got their eye on the team time trials that are coming up the World Cup in Vagorda and the World Championships at the end of the year so they've brought in Becca as a TTT specialist so that should be interesting to watch. Yeah definitely uh, hiring in a specialist like that at this time of year I mean it's actually in, in a way it's a bit of a luxury that most teams wouldn't get the opportunity to, to do that so uh, you know, could be could be very fortunate. Yes, and but you know, um, what I'm really happy about is it kind of it kind of implies that it's not so much a bad, you know, it's not so much no, nothing, not so much to worry about. We hope so. We certainly hope so. Um, and then there was something else in the news that I know has got you slightly exercised. I, you say that as if I'm a man who is prone to fits of peak and/or anger. I know. I, I don't know where I got that idea from. I have, you're so calm and rational, and and never, never, which never is, have any emotional which, which is probably exactly why I have emotional outbursts when the rest of the world refuses to be calm and rational. <laughs> Fucking idiots. Um, so yeah, like, well, I guess we alluded to this, or I alluded to this earlier in the program when I asked Catherine Bertine if perhaps she was available to run for the uh, the soon to be at least uh, you know nominally vacated role of UCI president. Ah, oh, fuck. Well, you know, in good news, let's take the good news first. We we finally have someone who's standing against Pat McQuay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because Pat's not actually been ratified by his. Uh by the Irish Federation yet. Mm, and apparently he's not been formally nominated by the Swiss Federation yet. So, you know, but, I mean, I look, honestly, it's hard for me to tell whether I'm just getting too cynical and jaded or if I'm just cynical and jaded enough. He's going to find a way to get the fucking nomination. Like, it, it, it's just going to happen. So, um, but Brian Cookson, who's the head of British Cycling, has and has thrown his hat in the ring and announced that he'll stand against Pat. Mm. Uh, I, I, I wrote. I. It's interesting because I'm sure. Uh, I don't think we were podcasting, but I might have mentioned it before. Cookson last year came out going on about yeah, well, we can't give women uh, equal, uh, give women a minimum wage because some teams will collapse, and yeah, we can't make team men's teams have women's races and make women's teams, and we can't make men's races have women's races too, and you know, and and cycling's not on TV because no one wants to watch it, and if people really wanted to watch women's cycling, it would be on TV, and yeah, and um, yeah, but we are going to work hard to try and make things better for women and that's why we've increased the team pursuit from three kilometers and three riders to four kilometers and four riders good job well done vote for brian yeah it didn't i mean of course he's better than pat mcquade well is I mean, he though like honestly see th this is my first point of contention not necessarily with you sarah but this whole anyone but pat I would like to, you know, collectively and firmly put the brakes on that. No, people, that's how you hire someone just as fucking bad, or God help us all, worse than Pat, by going anyone but Pat. No, I don't want anyone but Pat. I want someone fucking better than Pat. And that's a low enough bar for us all to attain to. 
Yes, yes, it is. And um, yeah, um, but what's been quite interesting is both is the backpedalling from Pat and from Brian Cookson about women cycling because they've both kind of um, mm. picked up. And, and I guess that's a good thing. I mean, I'd much, much rather have it this way, where they're both proactively going out there and go, women's cycling is really important. I mean, neither of them have got a manifesto out. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, so we don't know what, and so we don't know what, they, what they want to do. But both of, the, both of them have gone, women's cycling is really important. Yes, yes, I've always been a fan. Yes, yes. I mean... Yeah, well, you know, yes, like what? I said last week, you know, Pat's, you know, said that he's always been a fan and always worked tirelessly for women's cycling. It's just that nobody with anything to do with women's cycling can find evidence of it. Uh, you know, in the case of Brian, he, he did an interview with Cycling News once his uh, candidacy was announced. And to to give them credit, they didn't shy away from some of the stickier and tougher questions, and and they pushed him on a whole bunch of things, including women's cycling. So you know, well done to to them. Uh, and yeah, he he said that he changed his mind or updated his opinion or whatever the fuck uh, since his his wonderful insightful comments of last year, and that he does now believe in instituting a two tier system for team registration for women's teams so that there is a minimum wage at the top level and, uh, you know, doing more and so on and so forth. To be perfectly honest, I just don't believe it from either of them. Um, it's just my opinion, you know. I, I just... Look, let me let me put it this way. My biggest issue with, with the, the Cookson versus McQuaid thing actually has almost nothing to do with either of these guys as individuals. I don't know them as individuals, and the truth is I don't really fucking care. My problem with them both is that they are have been part of a system that has been shown to be corrupted for the better part of two decades. For the better part of two decades. They've been in it, in the thick of it, during all of this shit. You know, look, Cookson himself actually said it best in terms of his interview with Cycling News, where towards the end, uh, in response to a question about the Armstrong and, and reason decision from USADA and all that shit, he wrapped up by saying, we need to restore confidence and integrity in the UCI. I'm not sure that we can do that without radical changes within the UCI. Now, first of all, I would like to, you know, be fair and applaud and acknowledge that someone from the UCI has actually stood up and fucking said it. Thank you. That's great. Now get the fuck out of the way. Because replacing Pat McQuaid with Brian Cookson is not radical change. It's not. It's more of the same with a slightly different face that has a better sense of PR. That's really all we're fucking getting if that's the change we're making. So, you know, it's good that there's someone there, but it's not good enough yet, and I want more and I want better. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a different place than you. I mean, I kind of, in a way, I give it a shit if people are motivated by by genuine care for the sports. Yeah, I mean, as long as the action happens, I don't care. So I don't care if it comes from cynicism, as long as change happens. Well, see, that's my I problem mean, I is do. I don't believe that change will happen when, you know, what I'm seeing, what I think I'm seeing is political cynicism. I think this is just... Yeah. I, th- I think this is bullshit to mollify the masses while they backroom cut deals with the federations because that's my other problem is, you know, federated sports, you know, blocks, votes are bought in blocks. Uh, they're sold on favours. It's all about influence and who knows who and who owes who. 
you know, this kind of shit's just fucked and I want change. I, mean, I want and, that systemic change. And especially when, especially when it's not even all the federations get a vote. So, you know, it's mm. only certain federations get a vote, votes and, you know, Britain's not one of them, for example, and, you know, it, that, which is interesting. I don't know if Australia is. But, said it before, say it again, my, the person I want to stand, Tracy Gowdry. Let's have Tracy Gowdry, current, um, current head of the UCI's Oceania Commission. She's a, mm. a former pro rider herself. She's done shed loads of work in Australia and most famously with the Amy Gillett Foundation, which, if you don't know about it, Amy Gillett was a cyclist um, who died in a tragic accident, tragic cycling accident. But her family set up the foundation in her name that does um, a couple of different things. One thing it does is campaign beautifully in Australia for road safety for cyclists, but it also supports every year um, a cyclist to kind of to have a scholarship so that she can actually ride in Europe. And it does also, and, and they also fund some very serious research um, on road safety too. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, she, Tracy's done some amazing work there. She's been a cyclist. She represents, um, the, you know, she represents Oceania, which is like one of those one of those places where we should be. This is where we should be trying to grow cycling. You know, um, yeah, she's not European. She's not one of the old guard. Bring her in, Tracy for president. Right, right. <laughs> Whether she wants it or not. <laughs> well, no, 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 you know, well, you know, my second choice, of course, is well. I, I was, I used to say Storm Agler and uh, and make Mariana Voss, but now I'm leaning more towards Ina. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's just got to be someone who takes no shit. Like you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, Voss takes no shit, but I think maybe yeah. an Ina Voss combination because Mariana's very sweet and kind and lovely. Well, that's and it. She's, she's too and very, smiley. Very she's too smiley but and she's, polite. She's, She's very polite and intelligent, and we'll just sit there going, but that doesn't make any sense. Please explain it. Um, so I think a kind of combination of, of Mariana as good cop, Hina as, what do you mean, cop? <laughs> well, in any case, um, you know, it, it's a positive sign that someone's actually willing to, to put their hat in the ring. Um, here's hoping we get more and better hats. Yes, more hats, prettier hats. What kind of hat would you like, Dan? Um, I would like a Viking war helmet. Oh, so a proper one without the horns. Exactly. Hmm. A Viking war helmet. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was imagining you wearing more something like, you know, um, uh, the banana hat, um, a banana carnival hat or something like that. I fucking hate bananas. No. Okay. No, no, that would not happen. No. So what we've got to look ahead for, I mean, I put a list, I'm neither of the UCI presidential candidates have put a, a, a manifesto out or a manifesto. I know you hate the use of the manifesto in this term, but this was Brian Cookson's term. Neither of them put out a plan for what they'd like to achieve, and I've put on the blog some questions I'd like them to answer when they do have a manifesto. But, you know, hurrah, this is not going to drag on at all until the end of September in any way, shape or form. Oh no, oh no, oh no. But well, we have racing. We have racing in the meantime, and that's good. Um, and, and, you know, look, I don't want to be too negative about it. Like, it is good that there, you know, there's someone that McQuaid actually has to respond to and and actually pass some semblance of a campaign against. So, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully the process itself will be slightly better for it. But, you know, more and better candidates, more and better candidates. And in the meantime, awesome racing. The Giro Roses just round the corner. Uh, we've got the Mechamine Beera starting today slash tomorrow, depending on your time zone, and uh, and lots to look forward to. 
We have indeed, and I can't wait for National Championships weekend. Uh, well, that happens in, you know, a different time of year for me, so... Yeah, I... And, and this weekend, the first of the Downhill Mountain Bike World Cups. Ah... <sighs> uh... This... Oh, that's going to be streamed live on Red Bull TV um, and oh my god if there's one thing I love in the whole wide world it's downhill mountain bike I hadn't watched any live until last year and I spent a significant portion of last year watching downhill videos and just going oh, 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 I can't believe they can do that that's amazing if you emailed Sarah last year and you're still waiting for a reply now you know why <laughs> Downhill, Dan. Downhill. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, but it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because it's like it's like the perfect case study in proving everything that we say about women's cycling in general. You know, one serious sponsor who just has the will to make it happen, puts the event on, demonstrates um, that they can generate the video for it, puts it online, and bang, there you go. You've got an amazing package and an amazing sport that people are passionate about. Like, it's really just not that hard. Oh, but it's also, I mean, the other thing is, is that the team, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think there's something about mountain bike and BMX where they come from a much more, I don't know, slightly more street level. You know, they kind of have that slightly um, outlaw type uh, vibe about oh, them. It's a bit right. like snowboarding. So you're saying, you're saying that um, the road's got to toughen it up a, a little bit, get into some ride buys and, you know, maybe start some turf war between gangs and stuff. No, no, not at all. I'm saying that, I mean, if you're, so if you're a BMX kid in Bristol, which has got an amazing skate park just down the road from me that's like really famous in terms of skate skateboarding, and you go there at the weekend and you see the kids on their bikes um, on this, in, this, in this little skate park on their BMXs, and then you go into town and there's certain places where people have kind of you know, self-designated it as a skate park and a, and a BMX park. And it's just, it's, there's something about it that's much more homemade and this kind of cuts across to downhill and to mountain bike where you see a lot more teams making little videos of themselves. Um, the Atherton's uh, little t- uh, TV series about the, um, the, Ath- the Atherton siblings, for example, is a classic case in point where they've just been really good at promoting themselves and, mm. and developing what they want you to see about the sports, you know? Right. And a lot of the videos show, they don't just show the incredible racing but it's contrasting this brilliant, spectacular, dynamic, terrifying, dangerous racing with like these shots of the riders out off off the bike and what it's like to go to the races and hang out with your friends and I mean, it just they just right. present. So I, we've got to show we've got to show more lifestyle, is what you're saying. So we've got to all right, we've got to claim more roads. We've got to start some gang rivalries, get into some ride by shootings, and I don't um, know where ride by shootings from. You're such a. Oh. You said it needed to be more street. Yeah, street doesn't mean dangerous, Dan. Street means creative and, and interesting, exciting. And, well, I and don't know what street you live on. Jesus. Anyway. Well, I don't drive by <laughs> shootings. Um, yeah, so Dan's weird. Dan, so I, guess, I guess maybe that's what you imagine street is like when you grow up in Toowoomba. <laughs> that's what my streets were like in Toowoomba, you know. <laughs> it's tough coming up in the hood. <laughs> and on that cheerful note, I think it's time for us to say goodbye. 
Thanks for Thank sticking around with us. Yeah. Uh, check out the links at the, the bottom of the post. Uh, if you haven't yet, go donate to Half the Road. Uh, if you have, go up your donation. And remember, there's someone near you right now who has at least one kidney that they don't need. <laughs> so, yes, if, and if you wake up um, and if you wake up on your commute to work or in the park in the sunshine or something like that and you realise you, you, you're missing a kidney, blame it on Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, no liability accepted in any jurisdiction. <laughs>